Good morning, Mozilla Festival. Yeah. Friends, I have bad news, and I will warn you in advance, it involves getting your laptops off your laps. At the traditional conference, people sit in their seat pods as if they were doing interplanetary travel where any, any uh, leaving of the pod causes loss of life. What I'm going to encourage you all here to do is look to your left and look to your right. Someone sitting near you is someone that you have not yet met, a fellow member of this web-making, open web, you name it, community. On your mark, get set. Introduce yourself to a friend you have not yet met. Stand up. Make it happen. Say hello. Yeah. All right. Thank you all for talking to friends you have not yet met. We hope that it will be a norm of this event that you keep saying hello to folks you don't know and getting to know them. It is my utter pleasure to introduce and invite you to give the warmest Mozilla welcome to the madman, the original Open Badger. Can we give a big warm welcome for Mr. Mark Sermon? Good morning, MozFest. Um, wow. I love this group. This is like the best moment of the year uh, when I get to stand here and meet you guys all again and to meet people who haven't been here before. Um, I want to just do a, another piece on what Gunnar just did, which is to say, look around. Look at that person you just introduced yourself to and look around at the whole room. Look up at some of these words on the wall and ask yourself, what do you have in common with everybody else here? What do you think, just look around, don't look at me. Look around, what do you think you have in common with everybody else here? And then hold that in your head. You know, I have had the pleasure of last night meeting a lot of new faces here. Uh, in the last three years of MozFest, is our fourth year, uh, I've had the pleasure of meeting a, a lot of other folks who are here. It's great to see a lot of familiar faces back. 
Uh, and even you know, more exciting is throughout the year, I've had a chance to roll up my sleeves and work with a lot of people here who have started things at MozFest. And you know, when I think about what we have in common is we may work on very different things. Uh, we may live in very different places. But we all share, my experience in meeting so many of you, is that we all share a common set of values and a common vision of the future. That this is a growing community that shares a common purpose and a common cause. And, you know, so what is that? Uh, at Mozilla, we talk about believing in the internet that is knowable, that's interoperable, that's ours. So an internet that's open and transparent, you can see inside it, you can view source. An internet that, like the Lego bricks, you can put together and pull apart because they're interoperable, because they are designed for us to be able to invent and create without asking permission from others. And an internet which is a shared resource that belongs to and is made by all of us. And you know, I think that, for me, is our cause, our purpose, our mission, is to both be every day and to build an internet that has those things inside of it. Now, those are big words, and Mitchell will talk about those big words a little bit more this afternoon. Uh, but I think that noble, interoperable in ours is also something that, at least for me, I feel every day as I do this work, and I suspect many of you do as well. Uh, and when I think about it, I'm old. I look around this, every year I look around this room and feel much older. Um, but for me, you know, it evokes very fond memories of hearing a modem screeching, like, Nyeh! and I kind of feel the internet in 1994. Or I remember, you know, the first web page I made in a, in a text editor and tested out in Mosaic to, you know, see if the images would load and all my broken file references. And, and I, I feel the internet and I feel those things. Or I think of, you know, some of the first people, uh, and all of us, I think, have had that experience that I met online as friends, as colleagues, as kindred spirits. And, you know, it was months or weeks or, weeks or months or years before I actually got to meet them face to face. And all of those things are things that, to me, felt great and still happen and feel great and evoke those memories and that feeling of the internet that I believe in. And I think, depending on how old you are, especially, uh, but where you grew up or when you got online, um, you, you know, you probably had different experiences than I did. But I, ex I suspect you probably also had some similar feelings of Creativity, connection, empowerment. Those are the things I felt as I first got online in the mid-90s. And I think that we all stand for here. And when I think of the future, and this is very much an event where one of the things we do is think about the future, I want to make sure that those people who are yet to come online also get to have those feelings. There's two and a half billion people online now and there will be, by 2025, about 6 billion people online. So will those people who are yet to come online feel that sense of creativity, feel that sense of connection, feel that sense of empowerment? And I would like them to have that feeling. 
Uh, and that's one of the conversations I ha want to have this weekend is, is how we actually practically get to that spot. And so uh, there's a, the first speaker I'm going to bring up, Anil Dash, uh, who's an entrepreneur. He's just started something called ThinkUp, which is a, a web company that I think feels a lot like Mozilla and shares a lot of those values. Um, is somebody who I think is incredibly articulate about those, those feelings. Um, he's also you know, been a blogger, a thinker, and I would say a, a poet of the internet uh, for the last you know, 15, 20 years, and somebody I've followed a long time. And he wrote a post uh, at the end of last year called The Web We Lost that to me really brought up a lot of those feelings uh, of that internet, which by design is knowable, is interoperable, and ours but doesn't always today feel as much that way as it might have in the past. And so I thought no person to better kick us off in this conversation uh, than my friend Anil Dash. Come on up, Anil. Good morning. Good morning. All right, I love the energy here. I, I am an American, you know, and you're around Brits, and you feel like maybe there, you gotta be a little more reserved, but. Um, it's 4 a.m. in New York, so I'm not up early, I'm up late. Um, I'm, really, I'm really glad to be here, I'm really honored. This is my first MozFest, so thank you all so much for already an incredibly warm welcome. Um, and I'm, I'm just thrilled to be here. I wanted to start by talking about a little bit of this, this thing that we're all reckoning with, which is that we are going to spend three or four years of our lives with our thumb on the glass of our smartphones. This is what the studies show, right? By the time we die, I'm about halfway through my life, plus or minus, I'll spend three or four years of my life on this phone. And that's true for all of us. If you've got a phone, hold it up. I think some of you have some phones, a couple smartphones in the audience, like two per person. Um, this is really, so this is the thing that, that has struck me most, is to think, well, what are we gonna have to show for it with all of this time spent? And the reason I ask that question is because I am a blogger. The reason I say this is almost no one I've ever met introduces themselves as a Pinterester or a Facebooker, maybe if they work there, I guess, not an emailer. But you can say you're a blogger, and people will kind of feel like they know what that means. And the reason why is I started blogging back in 1999, and there was a small community of people that did this, and there was an ethos about adopting the medium of the web that was about something more profound than just I use an app, right? It was representing the idea of how you shared your thoughts and what you were contributing back to the internet. And it's no surprise that from that early community of bloggers that I was part of, I got to watch other people go on and build things like Twitter and Blogger and Flickr and LinkedIn and uh, Tumblr and on and on and on, all these different apps, right? So from this very small community, I probably was I don't know, maybe one of the first hundred bloggers, all the other folks making these things went out and made incredible things that changed culture, changed society, changed the way we work and we live. And so they were invested in the idea that the web was going to be an expressive medium for us. And so it still means something to me today to say I am a blogger in a way that the other social apps that we've used since then don't define me. And the interesting thing about that era of the web, whether it's 10, 15 years ago, certainly the point when Mark was talking about when you still heard the modem screech every time that you connected to the net, it was worse in a lot of ways. It was uglier, it was slower, it wasn't as usable. But there were things we could do then 
or tasks that we took for granted that today have started to fade in terms of their prevalence or their relevance. One of the things that's really obvious to me was the assumption was you would have your own website with your own domain name, which is where your photos and your writing and your content would live. Crazy as that sounds now, that was the default assumption. There were other things. If you wanted to leave a comment on somebody's site or you wanted to respond to what they said, it was just as likely you would be allowed to use a pseudonym or be anonymous as to use your real name. So you could start to make some choices about, did I want this attached to what I say for the rest of my life forever, or is this just how I feel right now? There were also simple things like the fact that when you left that comment, you could post a link. There was no such thing as link spam yet. I'll talk about why. And what that meant was that if you wanted to post the URL to something you had written or your own site, you could do that. There were no constraints around that. More fundamentally, the thing that you wrote, when you put a headline on it, you wrote the headline you wanted to read, not the thing that fit an algorithm, not the thing that fed PageRank. And in fact, all of the content that you wrote was based on what you wanted to express. It's crazy that this seems radical now, but this is the way it was. And more importantly, we had a record of what we wrote, what we shared, what we created. So there were simple ways to either download your content and have a copy of it, or it was already on your own server that you controlled, or we had explicit policies. Some sites said, we're going to preserve this information for you. We're going to keep it alive forever. We're going to make sure that it stays with you. So you didn't have to worry that they were going to pivot or sell to some big company and delete everything you'd ever created. Do you know all your Friendster profiles are gone? All of them? Every single one that everybody created? That's crazy. That was 10 years ago. That wasn't 100 years ago. Right? And at the opposite extreme, some sites made the choice to say, we will not preserve this. We're not going to leave you saddled with the stupid choices you made when you were young and what you decided to put online. And so we're going to delete this, and you're going to know that, and you can trust that. Right? So there were choices about what was on the record and how it was going to be preserved, and these things were explicit instead of having this ever-changing, shifting, creeping line of privacy versus publicity that you don't really know where you stand. This wasn't that long ago. This isn't a thousand years ago. This is ten years ago. And that was the norm, and that was the default. And then, of course, this started to slip away. I don't need to preach to this audience about how the web has changed in that regard. We know the sites we use. We know the services we use. But things have changed. There are a lot of people that love the web and love open source that tell me they launch Firefox when they need to test a site because Chrome is good enough and it is open enough, and maybe that's enough to get by. I certainly have been the person that preaches the open web, that says he believes in it, but every day logs into Facebook, every day logs into Google+, every day connects through these sites. So these things started to slip away from us a little bit, and it happened gradually. It wasn't a, a broad choice to reject those values, it was the convenience of what came along in the years since. And so when we saw that slip away, what we did is what we always do, we're going to invent a format. Right? We're going to make a technology and we're going to solve this. And I tilted at this windmill as eagerly as anyone and, and got to sit there and watch friends of mine work on OpenID and OpenSocial and OAuth and uh, activity streams and Adam. I mean, I can name uh, micro formats, I can name a million attempts at this. And to an approximation, they all failed. And I, I say that with love and respect for the people who did this work, but we kept trumpeting and crowing about, well, two sites support our format, 
right? As if the web is homeopathic, and if you have one-tenth of one percent of websites adopt your technology, suddenly that counts as success. It doesn't. It wasn't good enough. And yet we never reflected on ourselves and said, you know what? This isn't a technology problem. We are not going to come up with a protocol or a format that digs our way out of this. And that was a hard lesson to learn because I wanted to believe that. Wasn't that what we had done in the first place? Isn't that how we made all this social web stuff happen? And the answer is no. We didn't even know why we'd succeeded in the first place, so of course we didn't understand why we started to lose. Open isn't enough. This um, became very clear to me, uh, I guess five or six years ago, when smartphones started catching on and eventually passed the sales of laptops and other computers. For 20 years as a geek, I'd been you know, first reading in print magazines back when those were a thing, and then online, that this was going to be the year of desktop Linux. Or this was going to be the year of desktop Unix. Do you, I know the, like, the folks with the graybeards remember this. Like, they would say every year, this is going to be the year. And then it happened. The best-selling computers are the ones in our pockets, and they run a BSD or they run Linux. They have some open source kernel. And so Microsoft was, in the popular imagination, displaced. Microsoft Windows was no longer the enemy that we were going after because we all had these open source phones in our pockets, open source to an approximation, and yet we were more locked in. What we had thought was lock-in was this evil disease, this infection, and we are going to prescribe the antibiotic of an open source operating system, and that will cure it. But just like as is happening in the real world, it doesn't necessarily cure it. Sometimes it breeds a bacteria that is more resilient, that we don't know how to cure. The GPL and the other open licenses did not cure lock-in. They made it more virulent. And now we're reckoning with that because we thought, gosh, that had to work, right? So open is not enough. In short, those of us that tried to create the social web with a certain set of e values and with an ethos failed. So it's, um, what, half past nine in the morning and we're at failure, right? Are we ready to go up from here? I think so. What do we do? I think we have to make our way out of this. I think we have to start from the fundamentals. We start with what somebody wants when they use social networks, when they use the social web, what are the things they're looking for? That person who goes and shares a photo, she is looking for connection. She is looking for the ability to share something with the people she cares about or to discover others that share her interests. She's looking at a very fundamental level for human connection. She wants to learn and share what she's learned. These things haven't changed. These values haven't changed. What's drifted is the economic systems and the business systems being built around it that don't have that as their first and highest priority. And I do want to dwell a bit on the economics of this. Remember I said we used to be able to post links and then link spam came along? Why did that happen? Well, I think it's a very clear point where this shifted. We were very excited about Google and PageRank coming along at the end of the last century. And AdWords and AdSense were introduced, and they've been very powerful and valuable to the web. I'm not criticizing that. But what happened was a link started to have not just editorial value, not just artistic value, but economic value. A link suddenly was this economic unit that could confer page rank that had a monetary value to people, and so it was corrupted. 
A link was no longer just, I think you should read this. A link was a vote for, these people should be able to profit or have a different price for the ads that they buy. Now today, when we click a like on Facebook or Instagram or we heart something on Tumblr or on Twitter, we do that because we like it, right? But what's coming? Like spam, right? Like engine optimization. There's no question that's going to happen. It has economic value already. People are buying ads on these networks. The word like will not mean like, right? And this isn't like some far off prognostication. This is today. And I'm not some, some seer of the future. This is an obvious repeating pattern, isn't it? It's inevitable. We're not surprised by this. And the economics go deeper when we say most of the apps and experiences that an average user interacts with are funded by a venture capital industry where most of the most dominant players have a very narrow definition of success. And it looks like the web we have today. So if all of our economics are dependent on that kind of funding and that kind of system and that definition of success, of course we're going to get more of the same. Right? And it's not radical. I'm saying this is part, like, I'm happy for the existing social networks to be part of how we go forward on the web. They just can't be the only option. And this is the thing we keep forgetting. There are these patterns. Things repeat. So if we can say that link spam is going to evolve into like spam, what other lessons can we learn? We can absolutely say, well, I live in New York City. We have the advertisements on the side of the buses. Today they say, find us at um, Facebook keyword Joe's Flower Shop. And 15 years ago they said, find us at AOL keyword Joe's Flower Shop. Right? The cycle repeats. Now, I don't fault a 23-year-old Facebook engineer for not knowing about the AOL, AOL era when he was eight years old. But I do fault us for not carrying that folklore within our community, for not telling that history every day, for not saying all of this has happened before. This is not a surprise. These are patterns that are going to repeat. We have to recite them. We have to know our own history. We have to, frankly, know our stuff well enough to be able to tell the story to others. In short, we have to do better. We cannot change the companies that are already dominant on the web. We cannot change the funding systems that make them work that way. All we can change is ourselves. All we can change is ourselves, and we have to be critical. We have to be unafraid to look at one another and say, are we doing enough, and are we doing things in the right way? We have to do better. Because the great news is our community actually knows how to fix these issues. We know because we've done it before. And, you know, I had been at one of the conventional tech startups in Silicon Valley for many years and eventually left and went back home to New York because I just couldn't be part of it anymore. And, you know, just in the last uh, two weeks have launched a company really based on the idea that maybe we can live these values and it's enough. Maybe we can set a different set of goals and ambitions as our goal, and people will believe in us. You know, in our case, we wanted to do a sort of a crowdfunding campaign and get people supporting us, and I thought maybe we could get 1,000 people to back us in a month. We're at about 10 days in, and we got 1,000 people that'll probably have backed us by the end of the day today. People are willing to believe, right? They want to see leadership. They want to see people take a risk. And in my choice, the thing I reckoned with is I got to see friends of mine become billionaires, run successful companies that are publicly traded, and I realized, you know, our kids play together and my son is not less happy than theirs. I have nothing less than they do. My family comes from one of the poorest parts of India, and a family of four there lives on $600 a year. 
and I have vaccines and clean running water and safe food and good schools and the rest is gravy. And if I feel that, if I really believe that, then isn't my ambition clear that I have to give something back to the medium that has given me so much? And don't I have to have a company that really understands every choice we make in our software, every little feature determines the culture. The shape of that box we type in determines what we type into it. I have a robots.txt file on my server now for 20 years, and I just last week figured out I should have a values.txt file in our GitHub repo. It took me that long. But we are determining the values that are expressed when people use the tools and the software and the sites that we create. And we have to ask ourselves what our legacy will be. What will our content look like in 10, in 20 years? How am I going to show my grandchildren a photo of today? How am I going to do that? What service do I trust to do that? And why aren't we asking ourselves that? Why aren't we thinking about the implications of the fact that the privacy policy and the terms of service policy on the sites we use trumps whatever legal rights we have? In the US, we're very proud of our First Amendment and what it says about free speech. But the reality is, it doesn't matter what that says if our free speech is actually constrained by what the sites permit us to share and do. And this goes beyond the simple, obvious, objectionable things we can all feel, well, they're spying on us, and certainly we're complicit in that. But more broadly, what about the things that we are willingly sharing that are being constrained already? It's easy to point at the things that are offensive. It's harder to point at the things that have this creeping sense of limiting what we can be, what we can do. And we are not consistently loud enough. One of the things that's been most liberating for me is to finally turn and say, there is no loss, there is no risk to me to stand up and say, I'm tired of our industry being sexist, I'm tired of our industry being exclusionary, I'm tired of Silicon Valley's values being corrupted by people that are not willing to bring in the entire world. We do have another five billion people to get online. We have people saying all the time in the tech trade press, well, you know, more people have access to SMS and to mobile phones and have access to clean water and to, and to toilets. And I'm thinking, that's not something to crow about. That is a problem to be solved, and we can be responsible for that too. And most fundamentally, if we're going to spend years of our lives with our thumbs on these pieces of glass, what meaning are we going to find from the time that we've spent there? I'm someone, I have a two-and-a-half-year-old son, and I've spent more time reading my Twitter timeline since he was born than I've spent reading to him. And I'm not proud of that. That's not an easy thing to say in front of a room full of people. But that is who I am. That is how I'm living. And I have to find the justification, the value in that time that was spent to mean that it was worth it. To be able to tell him when he's grown up, well, there was a reason. Something came out of it. Something meaningful. I was able to have an impact. I was able to record some moment that was worth it. Are we building our tools with that in mind? Are we building our technology with that in mind? And isn't this our advantage against the people that have closed up the web, that have closed up our ability to share, that have compromised our ability to express ourselves? They will never ask this question. They cannot. The dashboard they create is going to be for an advertiser and more power to them. But can we create the same level of insights about ourselves as we give to someone that wants to advertise to us?
can we set the bar that low and then clear it? Can we set the bar at least at the level where we say, 10 years ago people were, thought it was radical to say don't be evil at Google. And that is the kind of measure of success that a sack of flour can achieve. <laughs> we can get higher than that. <laughs> if you're like me, and I know a lot of you are, the web gave you everything. The web brought me my friends, it found me a cohort, it gave me a meaningful career, it helped me find my wife. I got a better apartment in New York City, that's impossible. <laughs> Anything you can imagine it brought to me, and what do I owe it? I owe it at least a, a good try. A good try. I think fundamentally the reason that I'm here in this room, and I'm so honored to be with all of you, is I believe now more than ever in the decades I've been online, been on the web, that we have the chance to do something fundamentally better than what we've done, and I'm excited to get to do it with all of you. Thank you very much. Woo! Thank you, Anel. Thank you. And I think we, in particular, uh, and all of the we's of the people that we're connected out there in the world do have a chance to do something fundamental about building our values even more deeply into the web. And I think, as, as Anil said, really is that we build culture and values into the world with the decisions we make in our code, in our decisions we make about how we design our services, our legal agreements, in the decisions about what we choose to teach people about the digital world that we live in. And what's amazing about this group of people, and again, the group of people I know you all bring here with you and represent and work with every day, is this is a posse of people who believes in taking action in building our values into the world, building a vision of the web and of, of society, really, that has a set of values around openness, around things like a shared common resource. And you know, before I go on, I want to make a very tiny prediction, uh, and it's partly a prediction that I can make no predictions at all, um, but it is a prediction that by the end of tomorrow, we will all be surprised and delighted. Surprised and delighted by the fact that some ideas which are sitting here in this room, just as little sparks, will feel much more concrete and will start to exist in their first version, their first design, their first paper prototype, their first blog post even. And I, those are ideas about concretely building our values into the world and into the web. So that's my prediction is we will be surprised and delighted in that way. And I'm incredibly confident actually in that prediction because that's what we've designed this event to do, what we've designed MozFest to do. Uh, and it's what has happened every single year at MozFest. Some of the biggest, most interesting, most impressive, also weirdest, most delightful, confusing, and sometimes failing uh, things that people in this room are doing came from here. Because we designed this as a place to do exactly what Anil is talking about, which is to allow us to connect to people who we share those values with and to make those values into something concrete that can go out into the world and we can build and make bigger. And so just as a little 
kind of operator's manual and illustration for people who weren't here and a reminder for those who were. There's a quick poll. Who is here at the first proto, not here, in Barcelona at the first proto MozFest uh, in 2010? Ooh, it was a very tiny, look at you people and what you um, built. Um, so that year, uh, I was in a kind of old uh, set of buildings in a square, off a square in Barcelona, and there was a theme for the conference. The theme was learning freedom in the web. And if you actually look around at some of the themes here, that theme seemed to have resonated and rippled through what we do. Um, and there were many, many things that people were, had as sparks of ideas in their minds at that point. But one of them, there was a kind of dark corner in this, you know, 16th, 17th century building with post-it notes all on the wall. We were looking at the picture the other day, and it said badges, 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 badges. And at that moment, this idea of using digital badges as a way to disrupt and transform how education and learning happened really was a glimmer in a few people's eyes. And in the years since then, not only has the world of education, if you're not connected into that, just trust me that this is true, really become a buzz with this conversation of how we can change credentialing and how open source digital badges uh, can be a part of that. But people in this room have built a stack of software, uh, Mozilla Open Badges, and then other software which is affiliated through that, through a standard we've built, that actually lets people build a new kind of credentials out. And so that's real, and it came from here. And actually, not only is it so real that it came from here, you can go to, Gunnar will tell you about this later, to your Mozilla Festival uh, scheduling app, and you can earn badges from the festival, and you can also go and create badges to award for people who go to your sessions. Uh, and you know this stuff is real, and it came from here. So how many people were in 2011 when we first moved to Ravensburn? Wow, it's really like, you know, we've grown this thing. Um, so there, the theme was media freedom and the web. And we introduced, or the spark for an idea, something called Popcorn Maker uh, was there. And it was really about how do we make HTML5 videos that work like the rest of the web, that we can remix, we can pull apart, that work like Lego. And that Popcorn Maker has now become uh, a real part of what we teach and what we use to kind of get people engaged in learning the web. And when we came back in 2012, uh, we actually released the 1.0 of a popcorn maker here. So those are the kind of things we can do at MozFest. We can have an idea, we do a first version here, we flesh it out, we go out into the year, we build it. And there are many, many, many more examples of that. Now, how many people were here last year at Ravensburn, 2012? Oh, there we go. Give yourselves a hand for coming back. Uh, welcome back, and uh, those new people, you will also be back. Um, so last year was interesting because there were so many different things, and you can see a lot of them up around here. So many different things we were talking about, we didn't have a theme. We talked a lot about uh, making and learning. We talked a lot about building a web literate planet, but there was a whole bunch of other stuff going on. Games started, the open news track started. Um, there was by Sunday morning, a theme that emerged organically from the event. Does anybody remember that theme? What was that? Fuck it, ship it. Fuck it, ship it. <laughs> Sorry, Greg. I had to say it at least 
three times. Um, and, you know, despite promising to swear a little less this year, um, the, the thing about that is we were also talking about creating a web literate planet. It was really where the first ideas around WebMaker started to get more concrete. Uh, and what happened was many of you, I can see so many faces I recognize, went out and heeded that call. You took what we talked about here and you all year, in fact, on the code side, 100 times over, shipped it. You shipped a website, you shipped tools, you shipped curriculum, and this group did that. And so I don't want to actually describe that. I, I want to actually have Michelle and Brett and Chris come up and talk about what we all shipped uh, that we started talking about here last year. So many of you might wonder what this retro clip art is doing up on the wall. This is actually the original logo from the World Wide Web, developed at CERN. And its slogan was, let's share what we know. The web has always been about sharing what we know. And because we've lost and want to rebuild this web, we have to teach it. We have to share what we know. At Mozilla, as an open community, we're championing in a web where people know more, do more, and do better. And teaching and learning is central to who Mozilla is. We want to help people to know more, and we also want to invite them in to join us in building the products that help everyone do more online. Another show of hands. How many of you might have installed Firefox on someone else's computer? All right. How many of you, when you installed Firefox, explained why someone should use it? Look at that. You guys are all teachers. You're sharing what you know, and you're shaping how the world sees the web. Today, we're even going to try to ship the web we want at MozFest. And we also want to be more intentional about teaching. As we dream of this future years from now, we're imagining a world where people are more web literate. They're making better and more informed choices, they're having control over their online lives, and they know about things like privacy. No more and do more isn't just a slogan, it's the world that we want to see. This is where WebMaker comes in. WebMaker is a call to action to everyone, to all of you who love the web and want to share what you know. We want to help everyday users just become creators and makers of the web. But the hard part is, we can't anticipate what all this learning might look like in the years to come. So we've started bit by bit by teaching things like HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. But to do this, it's about community and not just technology. And this is the core of WebMaker, it's the core of MozFest, of all the things that Mozilla does. This is in our DNA. If we want to rebuild the web we want, and we want people to know how that works, then we need to empower a massive community a community to teach the world the web. 
The good news is, we think we have a formula for that. You take people who love the web, ask them to take action, and to share what they know. This is all that we're trying to do at WebMaker and at MozFest this weekend. And this is also what we did with Spread Firefox. People who loved our cause took action and shared what they know. This is Mozilla's not-so-secret sauce. I'd like to invite two people to explain a little bit more about this recipe and how WebMaker works as a technology and a community. Brett Gaylor and Chris Lawrence. Thank you, Michelle. Good morning, webmakers. Good morning, webmakers. One more time. Good morning, webmakers. All right, Brett. Thank you. As Mark said, we began this MozFest journey several years ago in Brazil. In Brazil. In Barcelona. Next year, Brazil. Next year, Brazil. And this is a picture of what that looked like in Barcelona. This is a group of friends who locked themselves in a room to ship something real. We locked ourselves in that room for two days, and at the end of it, we had created what we called PopcornJS, a technology that has since been used in newsrooms around the world. If you were at that first MozFest, it was clear that this was not another tech conference. This was about building real things that other people could use. And what I'm most excited about now is that this small group of people has now grown to include this group of people. The energy of getting together to create and to share what we know is now a locally driven and globally networked community. And so today we're shipping together webmaker.org. And webmaker.org really is a combination of tools, teaching kits, and a globally networked community dedicated to learning and teaching empowerment on the web. So this year, we've really coalesced webmaker.org into a big tent. That big tent includes big telco companies. It includes edupunks. It includes scrappy after-school programs. It includes IT geeks teaching shepherds and shopkeepers. It includes Ivy Leaguers. And yes, it does include everyday neighborhood classroom teachers. And we're sort of, we've coalesced this diversity with a program this year we called our Webmaker Fellows. And so I'd really like to call out Kat and the rest of the Webmaker Fellows that are in the room. Give us a wave. Woo. Look around. So these Webmaker Fellows, there's one too. Uh, I got the mic now, I'm good. Working with these Webmaker Fellows this year has gone hand in hand with actually creating the infrastructure to allow our users to create what we call makes. And these are the basic building blocks of WebMaker. Web creations that other people can remix. And these are forming the basis of a community-powered curriculum to teach the web. And you can build this with us over this weekend. They've got a nice banner there that says, let's build and teach the web. Laura and Kat are running a ton of sessions up there to help you teach other people what you know about the web. No matter what you make, 
WebMaker has tools and a community to help you spread that knowledge. So what is this teaching, oh, what does this teaching actually look like on WebMaker? Well, it's about more than just code. It's about understanding how the web works and its building blocks by making something. So this is a, this is a creation of one of the fellows called Max Capacity. He creates his own music, and so using Popcorn Maker, he's created a track that he's created a track that sequences this with SoundCloud. But if you investigate what he's doing, he's actually simply linking together and sequencing URLs on the web. He's teaching people how this works. So if I want to remix his creation, I just fire up Google, do an image search, replace his image with my own image using a URL. But I can also use YouTube. I just search my results, Popcorn Maker pulls up results on YouTube, I can edit those onto the timeline, and I can replace what Max started. It's a call and response using the basic building blocks of the web. Because, because Giphy has an API, I can also use Popcorn Maker to do searches and pull that in. Now we have Giphy, we have YouTube, we have a, a random URL all sequenced together to make something that's worth sharing. Take my creation, put it on my own blog, and then if somebody comes across this, all they've got to do is hit the remix button, view source, and it opens up again for them. And all of WebMaker's tools have step-by-step -step tutorials about how the next user can create based on this work. So let's give it up for Max Capacity. So of course, WebMaker does teach code as well. And just this morning, we shipped a really exciting feature in Thimble, our HTML code editor. It's called together.js. And what it allows is people to write code together and chat via text and audio. So I want you to listen to what happens when Pomax in Vancouver and Michelle in Berlin get together to learn some JavaScript. Pomax join the session. Yay. This rain.js thing, or rainy day, uh, does really cool graphic stuff um, by just drawing raindrops on a picture. And if you look on line 24 through 29, it'll tell you what it wants in terms of raindrops. So if you can see this, I'm going to actually change the size of the raindrops just by adding a couple of ones. Oh, yeah. And then what it's actually doing is it's generating raindrops based on this array. If you've covered that in your JavaScript courses already, you can actually give it all kinds of different raindrops. So I can say I want a small raindrop and I want that to kick in half the time. And then the other half of the time, I want a big raindrop. Um, so this should be a bit bigger. So if you want to can see that effect more pronounced, go for it, change that number. Let's see how crazy this is. Oh, <laughs> it's that's a huge raindrop. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Let me just kick that back to 15 instead. You can also take the image URL, which is right here. Image URL. Oh. Well, I'm, I live in Berlin. Maybe I'll make it very, like a gray image of Berlin. Oh, nice. That's my, oh. the, right around the corner from my house from Wikipedia. All right, so then according to Brett, it's raining quite hard. So let's just say, <laughs> you know what? 
engine dot preset we want and some big drops. There we go, that's rain in Berlin. Just give a quick shout out to Pomax Michelle. So that you, you can see that, that learning and teaching does not need to be formal. It can be as simple as people getting together and sharing what they know. And because we know that the future of the web is mobile, we're also building tools to let anyone author their own apps without needing to be a rock star developer. So what you're seeing here are images of AppMaker, which is alpha software that you can try right now, or better yet, you can visit the Web Making for Mobile track on the first floor to help build. <laughs> With Simon. <laughs> All right, so X-Ray Goggles. Everyone remembers X-Ray Goggles, right? It was actually born at the very first MozFest in Barcelona um, by our very own uh, Atul Varma and Jess Klein. They're around here somewhere, if not in this room. I like to call X-Ray Goggles the patient zero of WebMaker. Pretty good laugh. Um, so with X-Ray Goggles, we actually relied on another one of our WebMaker fellows, Steph Guthrie right here, who used this WebMaker tool to really talk back to the culture. And in this case, the culture that was represented on this site, the real women of Canada. Anyone quickly point out what she might have been a little bit disturbed by? Just from the image? The real women of Canada, lovely pearly whites and all their glory. Uh, if you can read the copy from here, it's, it's a whole bunch of right-wing um, propaganda sort of backing up what real Canadian women are like. So what she used in sort of a culture jamming capacity was she actually used WebMaker and the X-ray goggles to talk back to this culture as well as to teach her point of view and sort of to teach her political reality through that. So here is her remix. This is what she did. She swapped in pictures and copy and put a version that she thinks and that she viewed as a much more representative of the kind of Canada that she lived in. So she used her activism and x-ray goggles to create a different future and to teach the world her view. So, <laughs> so how are we going to up-level the teaching of Steph and others and to spread that and to get to scale with that? Well, we actually said, why not leverage the production and publishing power of WebMaker tools to help make that happen? So we've actually made remixable, hackable, spreadable teaching kits in Thimble. And right here, you can see this teacher right here, Tech Kim. She used one of our templates to create her own, making her own template for that. And so what this does is this actually makes curriculum, lesson plans, webby and viral. But what the heck does Webby mean? So we've really dived down and thought about this year, that this year. And so Doug Belshaw and a team of Mozillians have sat down and worked and thought and built how do you encode these values into something that we're calling the web literacy standard. So Doug, where are, Doug's over here. Doug and the other Mozillians that might have helped out on that project, give it a wave. And so what our ask really is for this coming year is not only are we going to use these web literacy standards to underpin as a theoretical framework the work that we're doing in WebMaker and curriculum and teaching, but we want all of you to help us build it, 
to break it, to remix it, to feed back on it, and to push it out into the world and see what we can do with this first pass at it and a year from now at MozFest, see where that's gone and expanded with, with all of your help. And you can start that today at 1 p.m. in the Open Badges track. You can start to explore that with Doug himself. And then I really think all of the MozFest activities throughout the two days are really an exploration of these ideas. So what's next for WebMaker? Well, we know we're in our early days, but the most exciting thing that we've discovered this year, hi Tracy, is that the future of this project is in the hands of more than a small group of people locked in a room. It's in the hands of the world. This summer, two students at Seneca College in Toronto worked with David Humphrey to do the hard and impressive work of making all of WebMaker and its tools available to be translated by anyone around the world. They started with their native tongues, Thai and Russian, and in the three weeks since they've started, WebMaker has been translated into French, Spanish, Portuguese, and Bengali by an army of passionate volunteers. So I want to just stand up, please. Ali and Dave. And I want to also give a shout out to Sayak Sarkar, who did, who just, he, he organized a whole translation party uh, to do the Bengali. I don't know if Sayak is here yet, but just a huge, huge amount of work. There he is. They said it couldn't be done. <laughs> actually, they did. Um, this effort has so much heat right now that it's actually, uh, it's chasing Reddit for the top spot on TransFX, which is our localization platform. As of this morning, there are 42 languages and counting, and this is an incredibly active effort that needs your help. So if you are interested in localization, there is a scrum task on the Let's Build and Teach the Web track together that's going to make this happen. So just before I go on, I want to just take a moment for everybody that has committed any code to WebMaker. Can you raise your hand right now? And I want to thank you. Can we all acknowledge the WebMaker makers right now? Keep them up. Where's JP? Last year, 2012, WebMaker shipped 10 times. This year, they shipped 500 times. So, the so this is the future of WebMaker. So the future of WebMaker is global, and it's about people. And with partners this past year, we've really worked hard. These partnerships, like the MacArthur Foundation, like Nesta, like the National Writing Project, like the Mozilla representatives, reps, um, we built together and built networks and communities exemplified by the Hive Learning Networks, by Make Things Do Stuff, to come together and to build this as a global movement. And this really came together. That coalition helped build what you'll see in this map, which was our maker party this past summer. 1,600 global events, over 58,000 people interacting, building the web, exploring digital literacy, exploring maker culture together in a community environment. And we think that really is the future of WebMaker, driven by the tools, driven by the teaching kits, and driven by the community. And so I'd like to give this as a personal invite for everyone here to join us for our maker party at MozFest today, 3 p.m., right down in the ground floor. You'll see one of these in action, 15 organizations, kids, adults, making and playing and exploring the world around them together. So join us there. 
And I want to do an acknowledgement as well. I want to call out anybody in this room that contributed an activity, an event, ran a maker party, built something for maker party, and some way made these 1,600 events and 58,000 people happen to stand up and be seen. Go ahead and stand up. All right. So, and I've got a couple people. I've got a couple people that I want to testify about why they did this. To test, who are we going to, Amira? Is my mic? Oh, yep, my it's on, on, baby. Perfect. All right, we're going to start over here. Testify, Chad. Why do you teach the web? So I teach the web because I want my kids, our kids, to like make their own future rather than have to buy it or, worse yet, go without. Nice. All right. Hi, my kid. Yeah. So I like to teach the web because uh, I want the users of the web to understand what they're using so that they could have better control over their online lives. Testify. Who's next, Amira? Jeannie, why do you teach the web? I teach the web because one time I had a teacher say to me, I can't learn that. Ooh, nice. Challenge. Ibrahima, why do you teach the web? Testify. I teach the web because I want to empower everyone to become makers of the web we need. We are citizens of the world. Nice. One more. I teach the web because I believe everyone should have the equal opportunity to explore the web. Nice. So these are some of our people testifying, building these maker parties, taking it to the next level. And my challenge to you is over the next couple days to spread that teach the web into all nine tracks, all nine floors, to the coffee bars, to the bathrooms, to the cafes, to the O2 party, to really leave this room now and MozFest sometime when the storm lets us out Sunday or Monday to teach the web and take that challenge and let's double this community by next year and double this movement because really it starts in this room. We saw that we were at a couple hundred people in, in Barcelona and now we're uh, close to a couple thousand people here today. So that's the kind of spread we'd like to see with this. Brett? Who's ready to build something? That's right. Who's ready to build something? Let's do it. Testify, thank you, webmaker. Thank you, Brett and Chris and Michelle. Uh, despite being the son of a preacher, I will not ask you to testify. Um, but Chris, very, very awesome Sunday morning. Oh, wait, it's Saturday. Um, so just one example, right? A very extensive example of what this room can do and build, not just here, but throughout the year. And so whether it's badges, whether it's things you'll see from open news, whether it's emerging stuff with games, this is a group of people who can get shit done and get shit done that matters. And so that's just one small example of the power and potential in this room that hopefully we can seize. Actually, I am confident we can seize in the next two days and the next year and the next 10 years. So the thing is though, um, this, is, this event has grown uh, from 300 people in Barcelona to 1,500 people registered today. Um, and actually, more interestingly, from 300 people in Barcelona to almost 300 facilitators this weekend. So this is something that we all do together. Um, but that is just a first step in a long journey of building the web we want. We need a thousand times bigger a community than we have already gathered here if we want to have both the influence on the future of the web 
and the resilience as a community that we want. We're really just at the beginning of this connected society and the web, right? We're talking about something that will last and that we, in some ways, need to last not just for decades, but potentially for centuries. And so that's kind of big, right? Like we want to, we've done some cool shit, but we want to grow a thousand times, we want to grow more than that, we want to shape where the web goes for a very long time. It can be daunting. The question to ask as we close and move into the sessions probably is not how do we get to that? How do we get to a million, mazillions, or however we want to talk about it? The question I would say is how can I do something in the next couple of days to take the next step on that journey? How can you do something in the next days to move along in this journey? And what can we do in the next days to move along in this journey? And, you know, I don't know the specific answer for you. I think the answer is in you or in the people around you. But it probably goes something like, you know, figure out something you can build, design, or write that moves us down that next path, next step towards the web we want. Figure out what you can teach next week or next month that will help somebody understand the web a little bit better and make their lives a little bit better. Or figure out one person or one organization that you think you can bring into this community who would feel empowered, lit up, excited, and at home here. Because if we can each do one of those things together, we're going to take an even bigger step along that journey over the coming year. And I think that actually, when we think about it just inside of ourselves and with the person sitting next to you and next to you, it's actually not that hard and it's a lot of fun. So, what I would say is keep those big ideas in your mind, think about our values, think about the vision of the future, but then set them aside and think about what is that one next step that I want to take and that the people around me may take with me? What is it that I can build this weekend, a first version of? What is it that we can start to teach each other? Let's get practical, let's dig in, and let's have a blast. Thank you, Mark. Friends, we are almost ready to set you loose, and I would just love to give you a few logistical and other participatory guidelines to kick this thing into overdrive. Um, I always invoke the 20th century poet Cobain when I talk about most conferences having a paradigm of, here we are now, entertain us. What we ask you to go forward and do is create this conference. We ask you all to be engaging and lighting one another up because it is in making each other activated and educated and helping to co-create things that this event will really come to life in the coming two days. Uh, things that I would invite you to bear in mind vis-a-vis -vis guidelines as you go through this space. Three guidelines on respect. First, we are already a little behind schedule. In general, we humbly ask you to be on time, respect the schedule, get to the space you're gonna go to so facilitators can kick those sessions off in a timely fashion. Secondly, there is a beauty in focusing on listening. Even as we are passionate about the many things we are passionate about, Learn about what others are doing. Find out about what people in this place are up to. The more you know about the rest of the people at this event, the more that we grow this circle and really do cast a larger ripple in the pond of web reality. And thirdly, 
Debate is so pre-millennial. Has anyone here ever been trapped in a free versus open or Barcelona versus Real Madrid or taste great, less filling debate where you were a hostage to other people just working it out? We humbly invite you to agree to disagree on matters ideological and otherwise and find that common space in co-creating and making this weekend. Three things about inclusion as you go through this event. First, it is never cool to use big words to try and look smarter than other people. Use inclusive vocabulary. Try to help other people understand what's in your head instead of conveying their inability to do the same. When you talk, make one point and then let somebody else talk. And in your groups of in people, just speak one nth of the time. Let everybody have a turn saying things. I said it earlier, I'll say it again. Nothing makes an event like this more special than stepping out of the normal comfort zone when you hang with your friends and go, this is kind of weird. Invite you to walk up to total strangers and say, this is kind of weird. Talk to people you don't know, make new friends along the way, and this event will come to life in a very unique fashion. Questions are the currency of this event. Ask them wherever you go, get people to tell you what they're working on, and this event will be a very, very unique learning opportunity for everybody. Let me tell you some logistics, and then I shall be done. Friends, this is the URL where all scheduling truth resides, schedule.mozillafestival.org. It is being updated in real time. It should reflect reality as we go through this day. On every floor, there are info desks. The main info desk is over there, but on every floor, there should be people available to answer your questions. And we are using the Twitter machine to allow you to ask questions or convey needs from anywhere you might be. If you tweet with the hashtag MozHelp, you will get information sent to you, cables delivered, tissue paper sourced. If you have a need, use Moz Help on a tweet and we will try to get your need addressed and help us document this event. Post your pictures, tag anything that you put online or otherwise capture with MozFest. One logistical ask, if you get to a session and it's full, bounce. Go to a different session. Crowded sessions at events fascinate me. They work the same way as wrecks on the highway. Everyone feels like they need to slow down and stare. If a room is full, if a session is full, go help create another space and fill it with your energy. Um, two uh, or three demographic groups to call out. There are a number of people rocking these incredibly styling red t-shirts. Can I get a red t-shirt? Where are my volunteers? Look at that handsome guy in the stairs. Can we get some love for the volunteers that are making this thing pop? Yeah, yeah, thank you, volunteers. Volunteers are participants at this event. They are co-creating the event. We have had some unfortunate incidents in past events where people asked a volunteer to go get them a latte or could you bring my Segway around valet style. Give these people lots of love. Show the volunteers your gratitude because they are the ones that are the backbone of this operation. Speaking of backbones of operations, there's also a bunch of incredibly wonderful people dressed in styling black outfits, fashion solidarity folks. The Remos, the Remos are here. They are everywhere in the Mozilla world. This event could not be without them. Thank you, Remos. We love you all. Thank you for being here. And is the Firefox in the house? I saw it trundling around, but if you see the Firefox, the Fox loves photo ops, so get yourself recorded in a JPEG format with that big orange hunk of love. 
All right. Uh, two other things, and then I think I'm about ready to introduce spaces and shut the heck up. The Wi-Fi is Rave Events. You see that posted around. There are other Wi-Fis. They are less fun to interact with. So use Rave Events if you do not want to be encumbered in your surfing joy. Um, two other things about the physical plant. You know, things will go wrong here. Wi-Fi may not work 100% of the time at 100 optimal speed. And in general, as things fail to be perfect, help us roll with it. Help us have a positive opportunity and a positive attitude. We will be grateful. In particular, there is often a pathology. Anyone who has seen the photographs of the Woodstock Festival in 69, the gigantic farm covered with trash, we encourage you to clean up after yourselves, take your papers and your coffee cups and everything with you, leave spaces as you found them so that sessions can roll in and get rolling. All right, enough of the logisticals. It is time to tell you about where you are headed now. We have almost on purpose arranged representatives of the incredible spaces that exist in this place right along this way. Can I get the space wranglers to stand up? I'm going to tell you about the spaces that you can go hang in. Space wranglers, they've lost a lot of sleep in the last six months making this event. Can we get some love for our space wrangling wranglers? Yeah. Thank you, space wranglers. I'm going to ask them to jiggle their large white placards as we say their names all the way in the back. She is the, the game goddess. Chloe is up on nine. She wants you to come talk to her and play open games and make open games. But wait, there's more, and they made a cool banner. It's open journalism. It's open data. Dan Seeker and his crazy posse up on eight. Go see journalism and open data on floor eight. Floor seven they're not just cool fashion accessories. They're the future of all kinds of important things, skills and badges taking place on floor number seven, floor seven. But wait, as if we were even halfway there, floor six, it is just overflowing with goodness. You can connect your city on floor six and you can make, you can build and teach the web. Yes, that's right. Floor six, right above me. I almost hit that floor. Hey, now let us look below this floor. Floor two, open science. Oh my goodness, open science, yes. But there's something else going on down there. We want you to look who's watching. Privacy on floor two. Ben Moskowitz wants to talk privacy with you. And coming around the last corner, lots of good stuff still to go. Down on floor one, I've got making the web physical. What does that mean? Go down and ask them. They're making the web physical. But I've also got mobile on floor one. Web making for mobile, all kinds of cool things, including the thing known as App Maker. Friends, as we break from this place, our humble ask is that you go straight to one of those spaces so we can rock and roll in these sessions. Logistical announcement before we move, we have shifted the schedule 15 minutes later to honor the fact that this went a little longer than we intended. There will be food on every floor at lunch. There is coffee on the ground here in five and Big insider secret, coffee on nine. And last but not least, a maker party on the ground floor from three to six. Could we close this plenary with a big love bomb for all the great folks that shared on this stage? Let's go, Mozilla Festival. Let's go make and build the web. Hello everybody, thank you for tuning in. This is Airtime Radio from Sorcerbreak, bringing you live Mozilla Festival this weekend from London. 
We are here with the entire team. Uh, please come to level five. Whatsoever, we are up here on stage to answer your navigation, logistical, or existential questions. That's right. Operators are standing by up on the red carpet to talk to you if you wonder where you should be going or you're looking for meaning in your Mozilla Festival life. And this is live. Hello and welcome. If you want to know how to set up radio, satellite, web radio, FM radio, there's an open source software for that. It's called Airtime and the team is here at Mozilla Festival. We are at level five at the storytelling corner. Just go and see us. Um, we can demo the software to you. We'll help you to set up. Um, you're walking around, uh, just look for that crazy person with that LED jacket. Yes, that's a part of our team. Um, you can find us on Twitter on the hashtag of Airtime or on the Twitter handle of SourceFabric. We're going to live broadcast all of the keynotes and during the day we're going to live broadcast a lot of interviews with participants here, with uh, speakers, with projects. If you do want to contribute to this live stream, if you do want to run radio stations, come to us, we set up a live desk for you and you can run the live radio with us. If you want to tell us your story, if you want to present your project, come to us, we are here for you, just look for the microphone, we are on level 5 at the storytelling corner, we are airtime, come and join us, this is going to be awesome, have a great weekend.